two sections in the book. And when I'm going through this material, if you, if you open up to the first section of the Firm Foundation book, you'll see there is a section header for each thing that we're going to talk about. The first one is going to be the fall of man. Just let me know kind of when you're, you're seeing what I'm talking about. It's, it's before the first fill-in-the-blank stuff. You see where it says the fall of man? Page 8. There you go. I have an old book, so all my letters and numberings off. So, so page 8. You'll see where it says the fall of man. As I'm going through this, you're not going to be able to just to fill in the blank. That's not what the the course is going to allow for, okay? If you're waiting for answers, you know, you might get a couple, but you're not going to get every one of them. You may not even get as many as you think. Um, I will be covering the topic that it's discussing, but I'm going to give you an overview and um, kind of a main point of what it's talking about and describing in here. But the part of this class that is most important is the part that's not here. It's the part that you say... I'm dedicating 14 weeks of my life to know Jesus more. I want to know what I believe. And I want to know why I believe it. And the only way you're going to get that is not in here. It's going to be when you're studying at home and you're reading those scripture texts and you're filling in those blanks and you're asking the Lord to reveal truth to you. Because as you do that, I promise God's going to meet you in that place. He's going to meet you in that place. And so, as an introduction, I want you all to write down two terms for me. Write down revealed knowledge and write down communicated knowledge. Revealed knowledge and communicated knowledge. The study starts with the fall of man, but before we can tackle that, we have to talk about why... Your personal study and completion of the Firm Foundation Workbook is so important. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 through 17, the Lord God commanded man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in that day you will surely die. This is the first and only command that Adam was given. One. He had one, right? So, I guess the question is, why did the devil choose to deceive Eve instead of Adam? And it goes back to what I just had you write down. Revealed knowledge versus communicated knowledge. Adam possessed the knowledge from God concerning the tree directly from a relational communication and being relational to God. That's called revealed knowledge. Eve, on the other hand, her knowledge came from Adam, and it was therefore communicated knowledge, second-hand knowledge. When God told Adam not to partake of the tree, Eve was not even formed. It was after that that Eve was even formed. What does that say? We have to understand that what we want 
is relational, revealed knowledge in our life because that creates us to be a hard target for deception. I use terms like hard target because I'm an old law enforcement guy, I'm a military guy. Hard targets are what you all want to be. You don't want to be that guy that's an easy target, somebody that's easily picked off in the crowd because you're not paying attention or you don't think about things too, too thoroughly. You know, that's what terrorists and people that prey on, on people look for, an easy target. Well, guess where that, that comes from? The devil. The devil's looking for an easy target. He doesn't want to have to fight with somebody. He doesn't want to have to deal with a real son or daughter of Christ because guess what? He has no authority over them. Amen? No authority. Communicated knowledge that doesn't lead us to revealed knowledge only serves to make us religious and easily deceived. This is the reason why it's so important to complete the workbook yourself. Seeking and meditating on the provided scriptures for God's revealed knowledge makes you a hard target and operates from revealed verses communicating knowledge. That operates from revealed verses communicated knowledge. So basically, we're going to give you communicated knowledge here tonight. But if this doesn't lead you back home, if this doesn't lead you to a relational conversation with God, I promise you the only thing you're going to get out of this class is more religious. Truth. There's, a, there's the first truth bomb. Boom. I'll be throwing a lot of truth bombs tonight. Um, I, don't want, I don't want this to be like that. I want this to be about relationship because that's what God wants this to be about is relationship. In Genesis chapter 3, Verse 6 says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband, and he ate. I want to scope in on one word, the word good. Everybody write down good. And note that it wasn't the evil side of the tree that Eve was drawn to, right? It was the good. There are two primary truths that I want to give you concerning the term good. Truth number one, there is a good that is not of God. You can turn on the news for about two seconds and you can find everybody talking about this good thing that's going on here and this good thing going on there and probably ain't one of them rooted in God. This kind of good is not submitted in God's word and it's not submitted to God's will. Proverbs 14 and 12 says, There's a way that seems right to man but in the end, the way is, leads to death. In Proverbs 16 and 25, it's the exact same verse, word for word. <coughs> when y'all see scripture in the Bible that is exactly the same, two chapters later, 
I think God's trying to tell us something. Right? He's trying to be like, wake up. There's things that we think are good that literally will kill us. And that are killing us. To be really honest with you, all of us, it's so easy to get deceived by this good. The second thing, (coughs) pardon me, there is nothing good outside of God's will, wisdom, or word. Absolutely nothing is good outside of God. Y'all pray for my voice. John Bevere summed it up this way. It doesn't matter how good something looks, how happy it makes you, how much fun it is, how rich and successful it will make you, how deeply spiritual it appears, how sensible it seems, how popular or accepted it is. And the list goes on and on. If something is contrary to the wisdom and the word of God, it will ultimately be detrimental and bring sorrow to your life. If it's not God, it's not good. Good that is not evaluated or tested against God's word, submitted to his will, is still forbidden fruit that leads to death. So, what is this class about? This class is about putting the Word of God in us so that we can evaluate what is good, not based on what we think, not based on David Stacy's opinion, John Wymore's opinion, or Greg Long's opinion, based on God's, right? Because there's a lot of opinions out there, guys. <coughs> there's a lot of opinions. James chapter 1, 16 through 17 says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. It's interesting that starts with don't be deceived. And it goes right into every good gift. Maybe that's mirroring Genesis chapter 3. Maybe that's not a coincidence. Perhaps God is tying it all together for us in James. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So, why are we going through the Scripture? Why do we need to know the Scripture? Why do we need to know and have the Word in our lives? Because there's a good work out there that is truly good. But if we don't have the measuring stick of his scripture, I guarantee you, you won't, you, won't, you won't catch the right one. You'll be like Eve, and you'll be deceived. <coughs> Excuse me. So, 
On that note, let's, let's start with just a word of prayer. Father, I thank you for this time in your word. I thank you for this time as disciples of Christ, as sons and daughters, Lord, to come together to know you more. Lord, I pray you meet us in this place. <clears throat> I pray, Father, that you heal wounds, that you reveal knowledge and wisdom, and that you bring peace to our lives. And Father, I thank you for this opportunity. I pray for health to our bodies and our minds, and I pray that we would be good ground tonight for this seed to grow. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so now we're starting on the fall of man. In your books, you'll see. The fall of man was a direct result of Adam and Eve's disobedience to God. By man placing his own will above the will of God, sin and death entered. What was created to be perfect was corrupted. In Genesis 6, which we just read, find three specific sins that led to the fall of man. And I think this is one of your empty spots. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. (coughs) Is that in there? Okay. Number three. (laughs) So, and those three sins, even today are still the three root sins that cause every single sin in our life. Everything. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Since sin immediately brought separation between God and man, restoration was needed. (coughs) What was God wanting us to restore us back to, though? What had been lost? Relationship. God is all about relationship, guys. He's not about the rules. He's not about all that. That's not what God was about in the beginning, and it's still not what he's about today. He is about relationship. God made the first blood sacrifice towards restoration with his own hands. But he knew the blood of animals would not be sufficient (coughs) for permanent restoration. You know, I've, I've heard a lot of things talked about this, about when God, when we sin, how we were separated from God. But I think it's important to point out, when man sinned, Sinned. Man hid. God pursued. God's not afraid of your sin. Amen? God is not afraid 
of your sin. How do we know that? Because when man sinned, God came. He came saying, Adam, where are you? Adam, where are you? I've lost fellowship with my son. You know, I wonder myself, this is a sidebar, I wonder myself if Adam wouldn't have stepped out and said, Dad, I blew it. I blew it. I did what you told me not to do. Don't punish her. It was my fault. I wonder if in that second, he wouldn't have been restored right there in the garden. I believe he would have. <coughs> I really do. What's that? I don't know. In the garden. <laughs> in the garden. Because that's what God was always after. But instead, man hid. And man blamed. Man said, it's that woman. (laughs) That woman you gave me, Lord. And that woman said, oh, it's that devil. It's, It's that sneaky devil. And God dealt with both of those, th- those things and then gave Adam what he thought of him as well. And I think it's important to just know that it was God that made the first sacrifice. His first instinct was not to punish. His first instinct was to restore and to re- bring us back into relationship. That's the God we serve. That's the God we serve. And until we understand that, it won't matter how much of the Bible we know, it won't matter how much we do or how many services we attend. Until we know He's that good, none of that will make a difference in your life. (coughs) John, do you have a cough? Oh my gosh, thank you. No lie, guys, yesterday I couldn't talk. think the enemy doesn't want you all to hear something tonight. I, I, I'm just guessing. I haven't had my voice go out on me in probably five or six years, so I don't think it's a coincidence it's the night I'm teaching the class for the first time. Um, that's all right. He's, he loses. He's already lost. <clears throat> God's plan for restoration. We're going into the next section, which is God's plan for restoration. God's rescue plan for man was to send Jesus to seek and save all who are lost. Because God is good, patient, loving, and a, and a wonderful Father, He continually draws mankind to salvation and restoration through Jesus. Man is incapable of redeeming himself through good works. This is why the law of God, absent of grace <coughs> in Jesus, wasn't good enough. The law was simply created to point out man's sin and need for redemption. I'm going to read that again. 
The law was simply created to point out man's sin and the need for redemption. That's important to know. Because if you try to live by the law, you're going to find it real fast how much you need Jesus. (coughs) The Apostle Paul wrote that a life of law only causes trouble for the church. Philippians 3 and 6, he talks about that. Kind of referring to the fact that he was murdering the early church before he really encountered Jesus. But he was keeping the law. Y'all understand that, right? Paul was keeping the law, killing the disciples of Jesus. Under Under the old covenant, forgiveness of sin came by stopping your sin, being faithful to God, and by the blood sacrifice of animals. Because life is in the blood, and no sin can be forgiven unless blood is offered. Deliverance from sin, the next section. Jesus took away the sin of the world by providing a sacrifice (coughs) that could and did defeat sin and death forever. He empowered man to live a kingdom lifestyle through his example and through the Holy Spirit's direction. The new covenant. Jesus established the following covenant. Hebrews chapter chapter 8, 10 through 12. He has written his laws on our heart and mind. (coughs) Where were the original laws written? Anybody? Stone, right? So... It was something that we actually had to externally seek, right? But Jesus came and put it on our hearts and in our minds so that we could internally find what God was trying to bring us into, which was back into relationship. Because the commandments, commandments were just in place so that we could have relationship, right? Because outside of the commandments, we were broken in relationship. We, we were in sin. <clears throat> he has restored all creation back to relationship to himself. He has revealed himself to us directly through revealed knowledge, through um, a rhema word, which, which he'll talk about later. He established that God's kindness and mercy is not dependent on wickedness or sin. Amen. He removed our stubborn heart and gave us the heart that desires to be faithful. He purified our minds, imparted His Holy Spirit in us to make us want to obey the laws and the teaching. And I love the word want. That's the difference. If you come, if if you're at a point in your relationship with the Lord where you're at a have to, 
I have to go to church. I have to pray. I have to read my Bible. I have to do this. I have to do that. You're in the wrong place. You're missing it. I'm telling you that I love. You're missing it. Because you should want to. This class is a great example of the fact that I believe everyone here understands the want to. I really do. Because you have to want God to sit through some classes like this. You have to want God to be a disciple. You have to want God to give of yourself the time and the energy that it takes to do this at home. To, to set aside the 30, 40 minutes a night to get through this book. You're going to have to want it. Because <clears throat> I've taught this class three times. And I can tell you that <clears throat> all the people that have to, that start this class, never finish it. They never go all 14 weeks. And they never complete the book. But all the people that want to, man, usually they complete the book early. Usually they're hunting me down in the hallway talking about what they learned. It's because they want it. They want God. They want deeper relationship. They want to know the whys, the hows. And that's a good thing. That's a really good thing. The new covenant requirements are laid out in Romans chapter 10, verse 9 through 10. Romans road, you would say. We must turn to God and away from, from sin. We must truly believe and confess that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead. I want to key in on this one. We have something floating around in the church today where I see it all too often where we say, confess Jesus as Savior. Confess Jesus as your Savior. Confess Jesus as your Savior. The problem with that is that the fact that Jesus is our Savior describes what he did. But confessing Jesus as Lord confesses who he is. And you will find that until you make Jesus the Lord of your life, you're just going through the motions. I didn't say it, it's right there. It's in the Word. It's in the Word. You've got to be careful. Remember that, that good, that's deceptive? It's even in the church. I'm just, I'm just everybody already knows this, but I just want to make sure everybody's aware so that they're not deceived. If you've never, if you've never, dedicated yourself to the Lord and recognized Him as your Lord, your Master, 
then before you leave here tonight, I encourage you, come see me. Come see John. Come see any one of these wonderful people in here and confess that Jesus is Lord of your life. Savior, Savior won't get you there. Romans tells us that Savior won't get you there. It's what he did. It's not who he is. He has to be Lord. He has to be Lord. <clears throat> he, we must be willing to tell others about his new co- this new covenant relationship. <clears throat> this one kind of sometimes gets left out. We kind of forget about it. But, you know, when we, when we come to Jesus and we say, Jesus, you're, you're my Lord, that demands something of me. Amen? It demands that I actually take ownership of what my Lord has called me to do, which is to tell others of his goodness, of his mercy, of his grace, of all the things that that we know, and sometimes we even take for granted, you know, like I do it all the time, all the time. I love this class because it's foundational. And we sometimes we think, you know, I learned that in children's church, you know. But Jesus said that unless you come like a child, you won't even see. You won't even get in the kingdom. That, that kind of tells me that maybe it's those things I learned in Sunday school I should be paying a lot more attention to. Because... Those are the things that matter when it comes right down to it. The consequences of man rejecting God's provision is eternal separation. There's a heaven. There's a hell. There is an eternity for every person. You just got to pick where you want to spend it. God sends nobody... He sends no one to hell. Hear me out. He sends no one. If, if you want to go there, guess who's rolling the boat? You are. God made every provision so that we did never, we were never intended for that place. We were never intended to be separate from God. Never. And so, rejecting God is rowing your boat. That's all you're doing. You're just rowing the boat. But there's only one place that boat goes. There's only one place. Don't be deceived. There's a heaven and there is a hell. And to preach otherwise is foolish. To think otherwise is foolish. God's desire for all mankind is in... If, if you all have your Bibles, open your Bibles to Second Peter. I love this verse.
because me as a <clears throat> stubborn son, sometimes I, I think that, well, maybe not everybody's just cut out. A little transparency here. Maybe I don't want to live next to that guy in heaven. But that's not God. That's not God. That's my flesh. And that's what I have to go to God and say, forgive me, Lord. Because in Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it says, God desires that everyone repent of sin except Jesus as Lord so that none will perish. How many is none? Zero. He wants nobody to perish. He wants no one to miss out on Jesus. Man, that's awesome. That is so awesome, man. That means that Osama bin Laden, Jesus died for him. That means the worst person on the face of this planet you can think of, Jesus died for them. And that means that Jesus loved them. And the scary thing, that means we're supposed to love them too. You can't do that outside of relationship with Jesus. You cannot do it outside of walking with him without knowing his heart. Because I'll be honest with you, sometimes it's hard enough to get along with my brother, like when I was born to. (laughs) It's hard enough to love him. And I grew up with him. Much less my enemies. But that's what God's heart is. None would perish. So I challenge you, when you read something like that, think about some people that maybe you avoid. Maybe you just like, you know what, I don't even want to get, I don't want to waste my time on that person. I don't want to give them the time of day. And I just want you to think for a second. Could that be the very person that Jesus has put in your path for you to witness to? For you to go to and love on? Even though they're mean, even though they're hateful, even though you'll never, you may never even see a change in their life. I encourage you, God's plan was that none, not one, perish. That's pretty good after hearing about hell. (laughs) The truth about repentance. Next section, I think this is the next chapter actually in the book. Under the understanding of the Lordship of Jesus, all mankind must come to God through the revelation of the Son of his son Jesus. If you'll turn in your books to John chapter 10, verse 9. Can I have a volunteer to read tonight? Uh, for someone to read? Anybody? 
Greg, you want to read? Awesome. Jesus is the door. There's no other doors. There's no other way in. If you try to go in a back door, if you try to go in a window, you ain't going to make it. Jesus is the door. If you'll turn to chapter 14 and read verse 6. Listen, in the, this is a very important truth, a very important truth for us to understand. We've got a world today that is saying, hey, man, <clears throat> as long as it's good, you know, as long as, you know, hey, Buddha ain't such a bad guy. He's pretty peaceful. He's just, you know, heavy set guy smiling all the time, you know. I got an uncle like that. I love him. You know, how about Muhammad? You know, he had some good things. He taught some neat things. I mean, if you ever read the Quran, you know, there's a few things in there. You go, oh, man, that's, that almost sounds right. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> and we live in a world where... It's it's so easy to buy into the message of, hey, man, they're a good person. They're just finding their own way to God, their own path. But let me tell you something. There's only one path. There's only one door. And there's only one way that leads to life. And that's Jesus. Everything else only leads to one other place. We just talked about the two places you go. It's either heaven or it's hell. But Jesus is the only way you get in. And that's so important to build your life on. This is one of those things where you're putting some rebar in the ground for this concrete that you're about to pour in your life. And if Jesus isn't, if you don't understand that Jesus is the only way to get to the Father, If you miss that one, you'll waste your time on everything else. It won't matter. Nothing else will ever matter if you don't get that. I encourage you, don't be deceived. And don't allow your friends or your family to be deceived either. When they're talking about all the different ways to get there, Someone should be telling them there's only one way. You know, I think a lot about if there's a fire in this building, and maybe I'm the only one that knew this building, and I knew that there's one exit to get us out, and then the other, everything else, you're going to burn to death. It wouldn't be very loving of me to go, oh, you want to find your own way? Okay. <laughs> go with God. Go in peace. Jesus loves you. It might be more loving of me to say, stop. You're going the wrong way. 
The door is there. That's the one that gets you out of the fire. It's not love to be apathetic towards people. It's not love to just say, well, he'll get it one day. She'll get it one day. <laughs> Hopefully God will send somebody to tell him. <laughs> and I, I, I laugh at that because I've done that way too much in my life. And I'm not real proud of that. Because there's been really good people that I look back on my life and I knew the truth. And I allowed them to live in utter deception. And I never said nothing to them. And I'm ashamed of that. I'm ashamed of that to this day. Because I should have told them. I should have told them. But today's a new day. And for every day that God gives me from this day forward, if I see someone running to the wrong door, I'm going to tell them, I love you. Don't go that way. That, that way leads to death. That way leads to death. There's the door. Jesus is the door. Oh. For the new covenant, repentance requires this. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. <clears throat> Turning away from sin back towards God. Being baptized in the name of Jesus for forgiveness. And awaiting the gift of the Holy Spirit. The word's definition of repentance is lifting the burden of sin, overcoming the failure of sin through God's mercy, and turning away from death towards life. It's important that we understand the turning away. You know, if, if we repent of something, if we give something to God and say, God, I know it's wrong, and Lord, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. Tomorrow, we shouldn't be going towards that thing again. We should have turned away. When we said that to God, we should have turned away from that thing. And we should have started moving away. <clears throat> Does that make sense? And that could be for all kinds of things that we deal with in our lives. <clears throat> whether it's who knows from things that we consider small sins no one's watching well there's a TV show I really like it's just it's got my attention but everything in it's of the devil and I know that but it's so good and that director man he's got me hooked But I know in my heart I've been convicted by God that I shouldn't be watching that show. And I shouldn't be allowing the things that are being said on that show and portrayed on that show to, to enter my life. So if I repent of watching that show, you know what? I shouldn't be turning to that channel and I shouldn't be seeking out that show anymore. I need to turn away from it. I need to leave it. And that's one example of many. You can, you can fill in the blank in your life. I'm telling you one that <clears throat> transparency. I'm not perfect. I didn't walk on water to get here today. 
just so y'all know. <clears throat> God's working on me every second. Sin's a roadblock that keeps God and man from coming together. It keeps him from answering prayers and revealing his face. Jesus came to remove the roadblock and restore God and man into right relationship. Here's the important thing about the roadblock. God doesn't build it. Amen? If there's a wall between us and God, who built it? I did. If there's something keeping me from being able to communicate with God and coming into relationship with God, guess who has to own that? Because God is always seeking and pursuing us. How do we know that? Go back to Genesis. When man fell, God came. That's how we know it. So, I encourage you. Evaluate your life. Evaluate, hey, are there some, some things that are kind of in between me and God right now? Because here's the good news. <coughs> If you built that wall, guess who has the authority to take it down? It's your wall. You might need some help though, right? Maybe it's too big for you. Guess what? Jesus loves to help tear down walls. He loves it. I mean, he he, he was a carpenter, you know. He's, I know he built stuff, but he... Construction, sometimes tearing down is the fun part. He loves to tear down the walls that keep us from God. So maybe there's some walls in your life and you're like, I've been etching away at this wall forever. Last five years, I'm just ticking away at this wall. Maybe it's time to say, Jesus, I got this hammer and I got a chisel. But I see you over there and you got the power tools, man. Come help me out. Please take down this wall and sit back and watch what Jesus will do because he will come and he will bring down any wall that's keeping you from God. Outward sin. Sin is disobedience to God's commandments. The Ten Commandments were given to us to address the outward sin of man. First commandment, do not worship any gods except me. You know, for the longest time, (coughs) being raised in church my whole life, I kind of thought, well, that's silly. I'd never never pray to no golden image or, you know, bow my knee to Buddha or, you know, I'd never do that. But that's a lot trickier than you would think. Because anything that you have affection for more than you have affection for God, you're worshiping. You've placed that thing as an idol. And you violated that commandment. And I can tell you that that's a, that's a hard pill to swallow because it's easy 
to fall into that if you're not aware and constant in keeping your affection on Jesus and keeping your affection on the Lord. There's so many times where I'll be transparent. Um, We went to the men's meeting this year, and one of the things God worked in my heart was, hey, you've gone away from... I'm I'm really good and consistent about doing my morning time with the Lord, but I, I know God called me to do some nighttime stuff with Him. And well, I got kids. I'm tired. I don't want to do it, Lord. I'll, I'll meet you in the morning. I'll see you in the morning. And God really convicted my heart and said, "No, son. I want to see you at night too." Because I found myself saying, "I'm tired, Lord." So I won't go study, but I'll go turn on and watch The Voice. Transparency, transparency. Because <laughs> I was too tired to go and commune and talk with the Lord, but I was all right to sit on my couch and watch that TV program. You see, there's a problem. There's a problem because my affection was more for that <clears throat> than it was for the Lord. And so be careful with number one. It could sneak up on you. Do not create or worship idols. That's kind of two as well. Do not misuse God's name. Keep the Sabbath day special. Established for rest and reverence. You know, in this one, man... (laughs) In the U.S., we have a really hard time with this one. Oh, my gosh. We lived in Germany for four years. And let me tell you, if you needed gas, if you needed food on a Sunday, you better have something in the backyard to kill. Because there ain't a store open. And you might be driving a long time on the Autobahn before you see a gas station open. You know, that's just the way that the people were. Now, they were down at the beer tent drinking all day, but <laughs> but they had a reverence for that day. They didn't necessarily know how to keep it holy, but, you know, we're all works in progress. We're getting there. I encourage you, build in some rest in your life. Because if you don't, burnout's real, man. Burnout is a real thing, and I, and I guarantee you, God on the seventh day, when he said, after he said it was good, and he rested, I don't think God needed the rest. I'm pretty sure he was trying to teach us that we would. You know, it, it, it is in us. We need to rest. We need to have some time that we set apart, and we say, no, I'm not going to go do X, Y, and Z, because today's the day where I'm going to stay with the Lord and I'm going to focus on Him and I'm going to let my body rest, my mind rest, and my spirit rest. (coughs) Respect your father and mother. This is a good one. I love this one, especially now that I'm a father. (laughs) Didn't always like that when I was younger, but it's, it's, it's awfully good now. Don't murder. Be faithful in marriage. Do not steal, do not tell lies about others, and don't want anything that belongs to your neighbor. 
such as their house, their car, their wife, their husband. Don't want other people's things. You know, be happy for people. Love people. And know that God will honor you for loving people. You know, so many times we're, 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 we're coveting things <coughs> that God wants to give us. He wants to release it in our life. But because we're constantly coveting it and causing sin in our life, he's, his hands are tied. He's like, man, I can't give it to you until you let that go, until you stop doing that. All these things can be summed up <clears throat> in two commandments that Jesus gave us. Matthew chapter 5, if someone will turn, Matthew chapter 5, 17 through 19. I always like, I always love Jesus like, he reminds me of like the, the real intelligent guys I've been around that I've been doing things like the hard way my whole life. And then, the, then this guy comes up and he's like, yeah, that's one way to do it. Let me show you something. He does it, what I take an hour to do and he does it in about five minutes. And I go, why didn't I ever think of that? Why didn't I even try that before? That's how Jesus is. Jesus kind of walks up on the scene and says, yeah, it's true. There's those ten that God, my dad gave you. I'm going to give you two now. Who's there? Anyone want to read that? Uh-huh. Man, well, that was the wrong scripture text that I wrote down, but <clears throat> but it's very poignant. Jesus in his two commandments. What is what are those commandments? Who's got it? Greg, you want to say them? What's the two commandments Jesus gave us? <coughs> That's it. There we go. You want to read those, John? Awesome. <clears throat> I'll be fixing that one. <laughs> So Jesus gave these commands, and let's just think about him for a second. If you love God with all of your heart, all of your body, with 
everything that you are. Are you going to worship another God? Are you going to put something else before him? No, you're not. They're just going to flow out of that relationship, out of that love. And on the same thing, if you love your neighbor as yourself, you wouldn't, if you loved your neighbor yourself, you ain't going to go sleep with his wife. And you're not going to covet what he has. And you're not going to murder him because you love him. See, Jesus made it pretty simple. It's all rooted in one thing, and that's love. Love. Inward sin. This is the sin like anger and lust and unconditional love. Jesus said to love your enemies and do good to those who speak badly to you. This is an example of unconditional love. Attitudes and behaviors developed through inward sin are things like filthy thoughts, shameful deeds, adultery, witchcraft, hatred, isolation and jealousy, fear, selfishness, troublemaking, pride, separation from God, self-destructive sexual behavior, and the list goes on. All, all that comes <clears throat> from inward sin. James explained this sin as knowing what is right but choosing not to do it. To, to him, that is sin. If, if you know better, if you know you're not supposed to do that and you do it anyway, it's sin. It's, it's pretty simplified. <clears throat> Idolatry of self. When we seek the praise for ourselves instead of the praise for God, we make ourselves an idol. In the kingdom, only the humble will receive honor. Someone turn to Matthew chapter 23 and read verses 8 through 11. And while someone's going there, can someone else turn to Luke chapter 14? And read 7 through 11 after they're done. You got it? Uh, Matthew 23, 8 through 11. And Luke fourteen seven through eleven. You got it. So he told a parable to those who were invited, and when he noticed how they chose the best places, and he noticed how they chose the best places, saying to them, "When you are invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him." And he who invited you and him. to go and 
down in the lowest place, so that when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, Friend, go up high, then you will have the glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. For whoever exalts himself will be abased, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Amen. You know, this, this is one of those <clears throat> scriptures where you know, it's kind of a gut check because everybody wants to be significant. Everybody wants to be honored. And everybody wants to have a place of importance. <coughs> but in the kingdom, we have an upside-down kingdom, guys. It's not like the world. To be the greatest, you have to be the least. It's, it's, it's backwards to what we know. But I guarantee you, being honored by God is so much better than any honor any man can give you on this planet. Because when God puts you in a place of honor, He will keep you there and sustain you in that. But when you take a place of honor that you are not equipped or ready for, you're not only going to fall out of that place, but you're going to find yourself humiliated on the way down. There's so many people you can look at that were charismatic and they were, you know, just great with people and they got places. And they were even great speakers and teachers and even great leaders. But because they lacked character and because they lacked relationship with God, they fell. And when they fell, not only did they fall, but they, they hurt a lot of people on the way down. And so I, I just really encourage you as a believer, keep an attitude of, of a servant. I think Bill Johnson says, serve with the heart of a king and lead and rule with the heart of a servant. And I think that's so important that if we want to find significance in the Lord, we have to be the servant to all. We have to be willing to serve. We have to be willing to do that. And the only way we do that is by getting to know Jesus because Jesus is the ultimate example of servant life. Nobody served the way Jesus served, even to death. Even to death. We must always evaluate our motives to ensure that we seek the, the honor of God and for His praise only. You know, don't do something if you're in it for you. Only do it if you're in it for Him. There's a good rule. True, uh, live your life by that. It, it'll, it'll work. It'll work. Destroying the root of sin. Repentance requires all who follow Jesus to die to your will, to live for His will alone. Repentance requires that we confess our sins to God because He's faithful and just to forgive us. Repentance requires that we restore broken relationships damaged by sinful living. Will someone go to Luke chapter 19? Uh, one through eight. Zacchaeus. 
I think it's eight or nine. Okay, right there. Y'all see what the fruit of repentance did in Zacchaeus' life? It wasn't just that he, he was sorrowful for the way he had lived, but he said, you know what? I'm going to do right by the people I've harmed by the people I did badly to. I'm going to go and pay back what I stole. That's what repentance does in our hearts. It doesn't just change us. It also makes us think of others and what we did and how we affected other people in our lives. And it gives us the opportunity to always go back and say, you know what? Man, I was wrong. I'm sorry. I heard a story years ago about a guy that was horribly bullied in school by this one guy, and <clears throat> lived his whole life and dealt with depression and just inadequacy his whole life because of the bullying that this guy did to him. And he was, he was quite literally ready to end his life. He was, just, he was at, at the end of his rope. And he received just a letter in the mail. And the guy had sent it to his mother because he didn't know where he lived. And his mother had forwarded it to him. In this letter, he just apologized for everything that he had done to him. And he asked that he would forgive him. And he asked that if there's anything he could do to reconcile and to make his life better, not to hesitate and left his number and everything. And the guy, he, he was thrown back. And took him about a week, but after a week he called the guy, called his number. And he told him what he was going through and how he was... And the guy drove. He was two states away. He drove two states away. And he spent a month with him, restoring him and loving on him, and telling him who he really is, and telling him who God wants him to be and how God is going to use him. And... Now that same guy, he, he's a pastor. He's a pastor in Oklahoma, actually. And he's got a church of a couple hundred people. And he's living, he's living the life Jesus wanted him to live. But it's because somebody was willing to reconcile. And somebody was willing, out of repentance in his heart, to make right what he had done wrong. So I encourage you, if there's someone in your life, it's never too late. It's never too late. There's someone that you, you, you're just like, I know I did wrong by that person. If you can, reach out. It's just one thing. Hey, I'm sorry. <laughs> I was wrong. <sighs> Repentance requires us to refrain from entering into fellowship with non-believers touching anything that is unclean and being set apart from the world. The scripture text is in 2 Corinthians 
6 through 14 through 18. When Paul's talking about that, the actual word that's used there in the Greek is, is talking about intimacy, intimate relationship. <clears throat> it even goes in further and says intercourse. Intimate relationship or intercourse. I think it's important for us to understand that God has called us to a lost and dying world. You know, if, if, if the light's all huddled in the same place, the world gets real dark. Real fast. So I want you all to, to know that as I read that and say that, God's not saying to hide out from the world. He's still calling us to be the light in the world. Here's the difference. When you're in an intimate relationship with someone, when you are, I mean, like this with somebody, and their life is that, of absolute and utter rebellion against God, you better reconsider your relationship because it's only a matter of time before their rebellion is going to rub off on your relationship to the Lord. I promise you, if you're not having it, and I, I would say go even further, if you're not the one that's having the influence in a relationship with someone, as a believer, if they're having influence over you, because that's really what intimacy is, you're, you're vulnerable. You're saying, okay, I'm going to give you access to parts of me, and you're going to have influence over me. That should never be done with an unbeliever. Someone that does not follow Jesus and does not know Jesus, does not love Jesus, don't do it. Because it only leads to one place, and that's heartache and pain. So take that warning for what it's worth. It's a good one. The next little piece was about the prodigal son. I think we heard a a good part of that on Sunday. So I don't even really feel like I need to to go too far in depth on that. You'll get into that on your study. Important thing I want you to remember on the prodigal son. Both of them were sons. Sons. Okay, the story is not about someone who is lost in the world and never known the Lord. Everybody catch that. They're both sons already to the father. So this is talking about people in the church that have known God, walked with God and then leave. Okay, God's heart to that is awesome because God's heart is not that man, you know better. I hope you die. I hope you rot. That's not God. God was waiting every day looking for his son to return. And when he saw him, he ran to him and he restored him immediately. When us in the church, when we see a brother or a sister falling away, we should be doing the same thing. We should be watching and waiting and praying. And when we see him come through that door, they shouldn't have to be coming to us. We should be going immediately and loving them and restoring them back to who they are. That's the message of the prodigal. That's what it's about. It's about it's no matter what, how far you go or how far decision you make that takes you away from God, He's always waiting to restore you. His heart is always to bring you back 
better than you ever were. And one thing I really like about that is that I find out that God loves to party. He loves to party, man. It's like, hey, go get the cow, man. We're going to party. <laughs> so, so he might be texting. No, I'm, I'm just... As, as we leave here tonight, um, you know, there's a lot of stuff we've covered. We've covered so much information. I just encourage you, not only taking the time to finish your books, but to pray every night and to ask God to reveal what it is that he wants you to learn from this course and to meditate on the things that really stick out to you. Write them down and meditate on them. Think about them. Pray about them. And then when you get something, share it with somebody. Don't keep it to yourself. It's, it's, it's important. Share it. So we're going to close in, in prayer. Pastor John, will you close us out? And after he's done with prayer, I'm going to stick around. If there's questions anyone has, feel free to ask.